Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Trish. And Trish was married to a ridiculing abuser. It's a story of put-downs, isolation, rage, stalking, and post-separation legal abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Trish. How are you? It's fine, thank you. Very well, thanks very much. So a big thank you to Trish for being here, and we have a content warning for this episode as we do discuss physical abuse intimidation in this episode. So that is your content warning for today's episode. Also, this episode was recorded a very long time ago in 2020, and at that time we didn't have shorter episodes. And as well, at that time the sound was not the best on this episode, but technology Everyone has, has come a long way, and I think we got into a, a decent enough shape to to air this episode for everyone today. You know, when we do recordings, not everyone realizes that we sometimes record with people that are in rural areas. There's different computers and sound connections. Not everyone has the best equipment on, on the other end, and sometimes my equipment will act up as well, and sometimes it's it's difficult to get the best connections possible. You know, even though it's a shorter episode, I found it to be really valuable in 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 the real listening of everything, and you're gonna get uh, validated by this story of Trisha's today, Trisha's story, and so now I'm just gonna get out of my way and your way, Trish. The floor is now yours. I, I didn't actually realise that I was in a relationship with a narcissist till probably nearly the end than the beginning. And some of the lessons I've learned, people might be able to pick up and go, well, I wait to do that. Um, yeah, I was, I suppose I was mid 30. I'd um, been married once before to somebody much older than myself. I had got two stepdaughters and, um, had a very happy time, in fact, such a happy time, when decided I wanted my own children, birth children. And um, first husband really wasn't in a healthy position to do that. He was a lot older than me, as I said, and really didn't want to do it. So we divorced. Shortly afterwards, he, he actually died. Um, so I suppose I was running around and going on clock ticking, thinking I'm in my mid-30s. And I wanted children, and I was thinking about that rather more than possibly the quality of the relationship I struck out with. However, I met the narcissist that's now to my life. Um, 
he was very attractive, very attentive, very, um, he sent me a letter when he met me. We met casually just by chance um, in a park. And um, he somehow, uh, well, I think off the landlord of the pipe, found my address and sent me a letter and said he'd very much like to take me out again. And I was, I was sort of, it was a little fashioned and it was, you know, quite romantic, quite special. Uh, I felt quite special, quite, felt quite flattered that he'd gone to a bit of effort to track me down. Um, and afterwards, I realised it's one of his big skills, um, tracking people. And um, so we started going out. Um, I was at sort of midpoint in my career. I was working for myself and confident, very um, used to going out. I was working in a financial services, so I was in a man's world, really, at that time. And... Um, so we met sort of, you know, sometimes in the week, sometimes at weekends, uh, and sort of went out for meals. Uh, it took me out of the area a little bit, you know, and I thought they were, because they were sort of more special places, I sometimes think afterwards was maybe it was out of the area so that I didn't bump into anybody that could subsequently give me a report on him, warn me. And, yeah, and the relationship sort of developed quite, well, very quickly, but I suppose over a 12-month period, um, I then moved in with him. Um, he was running his own business as well. Um, but then once I moved in, I got to somehow me running his business and my business uh, while he disappeared. Um, but there was always some legitimate reason uh, why he disappeared for days at a time. Um, and then we were talking, well, I suppose I introduced it first of all about the having children and having babies. And we sort of come into one or two reasons what, you know, he said originally that he had never been married. And I'd sort of asked why, but he said he'd had a couple of long term long-standing relationships well those turned out to be long-standing of two or three months rather than several years or anything um but there were all plausible reasons they you know the exes had um, um, betrayed him they you know been too timing him they got she's somebody else etc etc and it's all seemed plausible, I suppose because I got my razor kind of spectacles on and um, it's what I wanted to hear. So uh, he gave me the stories that I wanted to hear, which I subsequently found out, well, two of the three cases that he <laughs> sort of said about, it's nothing like the truth. But then a narcissist has a, their own version of the truth, I believe, Um and it's it's not reality, not based in reality at all. So eventually you want to have children, which you do. You have a boy. And then three weeks after you have that boy, you end up getting married. And then all of a sudden, your husband wants to buy a farm. So what happens from here? We couldn't afford a farm. So we ended up buying some fields to convert into a farm. And I wasn't happy about it because I, I do, I'm not a farmer. 
I've lived rurally, but I'm not, I know nothing about farming. I had no interest in farming. But I said, well, we'll do what we can. So off we went, really. Then I suppose life got a little bit quieter because we were engrossed in, then we were very busy building a house, starting up the farm, um, doing all the chores that are involved on a farm. Um, and also I got a little one. Um, so I wanted to spend time with him. I'd also still got my business. Um, but then despite assurances from my ex that the farming wouldn't take that much, that much time, it did seem to take up an awful lot of time. So I would make appointments with clients for the evening to go and see them and what have you, and then he wouldn't turn out to come and child mind. So, so my business started to flounder a little bit. Um, it was also drinking huge amounts of money. So various things that I, as I was in financial services, I had various schemes and savings and what have you. Um, and it seemed to transpire that most of the, the money that he got anywhere in the world was all borrowed from people. Um, so we started you know, using quite a lot of my savings um, to build our house. And then it was, and then gradually it got to be that there was no income in farming. Um, and so our income needed to be supported, which ended up using uh, our savings, really. We built a farm and I said, well, you know, we've done what I committed to doing, what are we going to do next? Where's our where do we see ourselves in the what's our plan? You know, because this isn't making any money. So why don't we sell it? Because the house would be worth money and, and go on and do something different. And he go back to his car sales and I could go back to my financial world and our son was in school by that time. So we could have done a little bit. Um but then he decided, it also started getting a bit that he would go and have a consultation with his family over decisions about our family and our, our lives and our finances. And so he decided that he wanted to buy a piece of ground next to his mother's farm. I thought, why do we want another piece of ground? You know, the one we got isn't making any money. Why do we want another but it wasn't going to take much time and it would actually contribute to the income. So rather foolishly, I now think, we went ahead with it. Um, but of course it didn't. It just gave him the excuse to not be at our farm day after day after day, or he would be at his mother's farm or at this other piece of ground. So we started not seeing him a great deal. There was never any money in the bank account. And life was just getting... A bit of same old, same old. I, I never had a farm except to go to school uh, on the school run. Um, I did all the farm jobs. I'd, I'd taken up doing um, work from home, a little bit of work from home, uh, um, uh, to earn a bit extra income, to make hens meet a bit more. Um, and I was just getting more and more tired. 
with, with life. So I remember he used to not say anything very much. I would sit down and talk to him about it and say, we need to discuss this. And what are we going to do as a plan to improve the income? What else can we do? And he wouldn't talk to anything. And then he would leave me a note on the kitchen table. He would write a note to me on the kitchen table when he'd not spoken to me all the evening. And so I, I did think, I wonder if I write him a note whether that would, you know, be a better way <laughs> of um, getting through to him and making communicating, perhaps he would listen. And so I, I did discover about a few weeks ago a letter that I'd written, well, five years, six years before we finally, I finally applied for a divorce saying, I'm just not happy, this needs to change, this needs to, we need to do something about this, this, this and this and decide where we're going. But but actually, although I'm sure he did read it, he sealed it and stuck it under my pillow um, one night just to let me know that he wasn't taking any notice of it. Um, and if ever I said anything about the farm, it started to become, what did I know about anything? And, you know, if the, I mentioned that our finances weren't, you know, the bank account wasn't looking too good and this needed pay and that needed pay, it was, well, you're the financial whiz kids, so why aren't you so fucking clever, you know? Excuse my language. Um, yeah, so it, there was an element of him starting to, whatever I did, it wasn't good enough. Whatever I did, I would never be a, a country girl that understood farming or this, that, and the other. Um, he'd also started to knock our son quite a bit. And, you know, if he didn't get something right, he was stupid. Or if he didn't go and help him on the farm, he was stupid. And it was starting to really get to me that I didn't think it was the way forward with bringing up our son. Um but then by that time, I don't know what had happened to my confidence. I seem to have lost my self-confidence somewhere along the line. Um, and, and believed, I kept trying to make things right and kept trying to make this family work and make income work and do everything. So I was working seven days a week, 18 hours a day. You know, one client said, I got emails from you at two o'clock in the morning on a regular basis. Um, what were you doing? And I said, well, I was just trying to make ends meet and make it all right. Um, but, and for some reason, it was always my fault. And I could always, not so much, I could always agree with him. When he said it was my fault, I don't know, he wouldn't say, um, he started, uh, I smoked at the time, at times, and he smoked, but he never bought any. He always smoked mine. So he started, you know, having a go at me on a regular basis in front of our son about my smoking, even though I never smoked in front of my son. Then it was my weight, and um, but one day he came in with some, and stuck, there was some cheap moisturiser on the table. He said, well, because you're looking old and wrinkled. And it was just a constant put me down about absolutely mortal everything um, that I did. 
So an interesting thing with your husband and like so many abusers, you and your son are being ridiculed about everything and it's being done behind closed doors. But in front of others, you are being praised and told that you are amazing and you are being told that you are the best. So what did you think of this uh, and of him when this kind of stuff happened? He was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was like two different people, you know. Um, and I, I didn't realise one of the two people didn't see through it, but nobody sort of said anything. I suppose because I, in a lot of ways I was sort of... I didn't have any time with friends. Um, we only had his family, you know, uh, taking the... He had a constant go about my stepdaughters and their families. And so I never felt comfortable with them all being together. Um, And I suppose a a lot of my friends, I hadn't, I was cut off from a lot of my friends. So I hadn't got anybody to sort of say, I've got worries about this, I've got worries about that. And there was nobody to sort of say, well, actually, we've known him for years and he was a bully in school and he was a... Nobody came with that sort of information. It didn't, that didn't come until they knew that I had left. So for your child's whole entire school life, you really lived with these constant put-downs and this life kind of teetering on financial ruin and then your child gets to the college age in, in England, and he wants to leave for this college. So what happens from here? And he was very much against it. So why couldn't he go to the one down the road? Um, but, you know, we ended up that he did go to the one he wanted, and because he was away boarding... Well, it just got worse then, because sometimes he'd held back in front of our son, but when he wasn't there, he didn't mean to. So it was it was like a battleground. I dreaded it. I dreaded him being anywhere near it. Day or night. Night was a nightmare. Night was an absolute nightmare. I um I'd moved out into the spare bedroom. I had to go and put get the lock off the door and put it on the bedroom door to stop him coming in and attacking me at night. Then he started crashing the house in the night and saying it was me. I was disturbed mentally and that I must be going in my sleep and trashing the house. Um, I remember buying myself a Fitbit because to track whether I was asleep or awake so that the next time the house was trashed, I actually found out that I hadn't been been asleep, I hadn't been awake. And and so I knew it wasn't me going around the bend, you know, I knew it was what he was doing. Um, And then our son came back one one weekend, you know, and of course he discovered there was a lock on my bedroom door and wanted to know what that was about. And I said, well, you know, everything's all right. Was I safe? I said, yes, I'm fine. Um, and I suddenly thought, no, I'm not fine. And actually, I don't need to stick this any longer. Uh, so I went to see somebody about applying for a divorce. Um, and he, 
it still took me months to actually think, yes, I will, because I just talked to him and he went, oh, well, I mean, we need to go for mediation and this, that, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So I made three or four appointments with a mediator, but then he didn't turn out. Um, and then he finally turned out the one, one evening and the mediator gave him the whole floor. I don't. I think some of these counsellors and professionals aren't even familiar with how these people operate, you know, because she gave him the floor and he spent an hour absolutely blowing off steam about how evil I was and my mental health, my difficulty, how incompetent I was, how useless I was. And she just said at the end, well, I think, I think you've sort of discussed a business for an hour, uh, Mr. What's-his-name, um, not, not a marriage. You're not treating this like a relationship. You're treating it like a business. That really isn't, in my view, it wasn't mediation. Um, so I asked her as a sign to say she didn't think mediation was going to be the way forward. So I can then apply... Um, for a divorce, which I did. I warned our son that it was going to happen because it ended up being during the summer holidays that the petition was going to land. Um, but the first time it landed, he must have, my ex must have ripped it up and thrown it away because nothing happened. So I got it sent again. And then this time, he was quite reasonable. He was quite reasonable and said, yep, yep, but, but actually our son's at an important stage in his education, so I don't think we should sell the house at the farm and what have you. I think we should wait till he's sat his exams, which was the next year. And say, so I went with that one. Well, that was a year that he just ran riot, really. He raided the bank accounts, I don't know how many times. He, he disposed of things. He sorted exactly what he was going to do for any year's time. Well, we sat there thinking, well, he just wanted what was best for our son, you know. And then the year came and our son had taken his exams. He passed. He was off to university. Uh, so I said, now's the time, you know. Let, let's go. Uh, and he wouldn't hear of it. So off we start down the legal road of taking him to court. And, well, it took, oh, I don't know, seven or eight court hearings over the years. It took seven years to get the divorce and the financial settlement sorted. So, well, it's cracking seven years now. Um, and as I say, it was only actually sorted three a month before last November. So it has cost emotionally vast fortunes. And actually, although I thought it was bad before, it was much worse. Always decided to start the petition, and when decided started to push for the sale of the house. That was terrible. He did everything possible so that if we had any viewers come, he tried to devalue the place so that it wasn't failable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
eventually we got the house sold, but we still had some land to sell. But he went around the whole neighbourhood, apparently, threatened neighbours that might have been interested in buying some of the land to attach to their own farms um, and threatened them. And nobody wanted to get involved because they didn't want to be um, paying the price, as it were, um, after the event. So we sold the house and I managed to move out. So you finally move out to start living your own separate life, but then your husband becomes a stalker and starts showing up randomly at nights after finding out where you live and the police really won't do anything. You know, you go to them, but they're really not helping. So what happens from here? I went to various places and somehow... He was still finding me, and I did find it was through... I did eventually find out that it was through somebody who I considered to be my best friend, but, of course, he'd taken up with her. Um, And so things I'd confided to her got back to him, Um, like where I was and what have you. And I think it all just started to feel like... It was too small and pantry, you know, for, to get rid of, to ever be rid of him. Um, and we were still having these constant battles of having to take him to court to try and get him to pay um, the financial settlement. And when we called him to court, he would make him a story and say, well, she owes me this money from 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I've just remembered it. And he was incredibly manipulative with everybody, not just me. Um, I just kept trying to do more and more and go, okay, do that then. I'll walk away. You have that. You have this. And I'll walk away. Just let me go and let me live on the way. And of course, then it started dawning on me that he was never going to let me go. He's never going to let me go. And that I think it was eventually I was reading something in Psychology Today or some magazine about a narcissist. Look at this. This is him. Exactly him. You know? And it was only then that I thought, oh my gosh, what what can I do? And how can I how can, how can I get away from him? And 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 then things like your website and other people's websites. I was reading as much as I could about how other people have managed to move on with their lives, get rid of this person so that they're not. And and I realised that I actually don't respond to him, don't contact him, if he contacts me and don't respond to him, go through the solicitor, I made it very plain with my solicitor that this is what he was and this is what he was doing. Um, and I, I did eventually manage to get it all drawn to an end and then I did feel a little bit more like I was taking a bit more charge of my own life, but it has come at a certain price. <laughs> um, I feel quite emotional talking about it, really. Um, yeah, it's, uh, 
I can't believe that I used to be a very confident, do what you, you know, whatever I done, thought I would do, I just went and did it. And now I, I sort of don't trust myself. Um, I'm improving. Uh, I'm having quite a bit of counselling to sort of help with it. I'm having quite a bit of, um, I think they call it complex PTSD. It's referred to as. When he does try to contact me, I had something from his accountants. Yes, only yesterday. I try and go and suck a lemon or <laughs> have an ice cold shower or something like that so that I stay in the know rather than get dragged back into past experiences. And I am starting to manage that better. Um I had a very long talk, and for years I said nothing to our son because I didn't want him to be in the middle. And then I realised that he he didn't know whether I needed defending or not, so he was ending up being in the middle because his father would say any old rubbish to him um, just to try and manipulate me, really. So I have explained at length and gone into great detail with our son Exactly, you know, what, what used to be happening. And I said, this is not so that you argue with your dad. This is just so that you know that I don't need defending. I, I didn't do anything wrong. And I want you to walk with me because you love me and not because you think you need to be in the middle of this space, if that makes sense. In a way, it's put me very close to my stepdaughters, my family, you know, there's some unexpected and some amazing people have stepped forward. The going's got tough. They've they've been there, you know, and they still are there. Um, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to your CPTSD, uh, how have you been dealing with it? We've worked very hard on some serious grounding um, principles that keep me in the now so that um, because an email used to land in and because we were still involved in a business together, I couldn't block it until very recently. But I would see who who the sender was because when they drop into your inbox, you do. And it would send me into a spin so, so I couldn't think that I couldn't so you know I, it got quite bad with comforting myself with food or alcohol or things like that um, but now we've worked a lot on what else I can do how to put it in perspective and, and also working on my own self-esteem and, and my own um, I think writing down and my successes every day and my achievements in the past as well as now um, reminds me that I am a worthy person and that actually um, this is the truth. This is who I am. Uh, this is the truth, not the one that um, he's tried to project onto me uh, for many years. Um, and uh, as I say, one of them was... Um, suck lemons. I, sucking lemons 
is amazing for bringing me back to here I am. Something like that that makes me gasp and go, oh, yes, here it is. I can't ignore the taste of the lemon. Bring me back to, well, actually, I'm here and actually I could do some housework and I could do this or I could fade a friend and I can do so and so and then I can look at what the the communication was and whether it's something that I need to answer because it's something to do with the business or not or whether it's just something that I should ignore and actually when it all finally concluded in the end of November and I blocked every every channel of communication except one, um, which was a very old email address for the farm. And then, of course, one dropped in. As it happened, it was for my birthday and dropped in, and I'm sure it was designed to drop in on my birthday. Um, one dropped into that email address, which I'd forgotten. And I actually wasn't too bad about it. I thought, it's my birthday. I'm not, on, I'm not looking at it even. And so I waited until the next day to look at it. Um, wasn't a business-related thing, so I just blocked the email. And I've not heard anything. I've not heard anything um, me uh, direct to me since. Our son has mentioned it once that he's had he's had contact with our son. Um, I try not to ask him. A, because I don't care, and B, because I don't want him in the middle. So I don't ask him about his dad or if he's had any communication with his dad. Um, I leave that to him to decide. He'll always be his dad, um, but it's up to him how he he deals with it. Um, From the things that he's said to me, I believe that he's very supportive of his mother, that he has read quite a bit about narcissism and if anything he's learned quite young how to how to be alert to it and how to be aware of it and um I know I still get a bit emotional thinking back because I now think why did I not do something years and years ago well yeah yeah but I can beat myself up forever or not. So if you have any words of wisdom, what would they be? I sincerely hope, you know, that some people, whatever position you're in or whatever stage you're in with this, it, you know, you find some boundaries to manage this. My boundaries have been put in place since I left. And and the only way I'd be able to manage it. I know some people have to manage being with narcissists for a long, long time. Um, and I I just wish them all the best and keep looking at sites like yours, listening to podcasts of what people are doing, you know, to get yourself help, really. Well, Trish, I really want to thank you for being here with us today and sharing your story. I know you're going to help a lot of people and validate their experiences uh, so they feel less alone. So just a really big thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you.
And once again, Trish, thank you for being our guest here today. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Trish was today or Trish was many years ago, but we put it on today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page, and there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button, and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there and you can share your experiences and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in, domestic shelters. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com, and Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. It's a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they're looking to expand into the United States, and what they do is to help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence, coercive control. They also help you get all of your things out of your home into storage, all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Trish, we hope you have a good night.